I am so honored to be with you tonight. Appreciate the invitation to be here. I think this is my first time in the new building since you've been in it. I've actually been in the building but haven't spoken. But we appreciate your confidence in us and allowing us to come and to be with you tonight. Uh, it, sometimes people look at our advertising from polishing the pulpit and they'll see that David Barker preaches at Midway Church of Christ, Mark Howell preaches at Midway Church of Christ, and I've had people say, did y'all get a misprint on that? And No, we didn't have a misprint. We just happened to be on, you know, at a congregation named the same thing. The, the Midway congregation in Jasper uh, got its name because two congregations merged and uh, where they built the new building was about halfway between those two congregations. And so uh, they, they called it Midway for that reason. Tonight it's good to be with you, and it's not our purpose to talk about Midway. It's our purpose to talk about God. But I want to begin tonight by talking about something that, uh, uh, telling you about a man that you may have heard about before. But he, he is uh, called by the, by the proper folks. He's called an inquisitive guy. Uh, those of us who are just country folks, we call him simply a nosy guy. And, and so uh, he went to a, uh, a blacksmith shop one day. Now, he had a habit of picking things up and looking at them when he went somewhere. And on this day, he went to the blacksmith shop, and he picked up a horseshoe that the blacksmith had been working on. And it was hot, and immediately he threw that thing down. Well, the blacksmith looked at him and said, Did you burn your hand? Now the inquisitive guy, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt, the inquisitive guy didn't want the blacksmith to think that he was some kind of foolish person for picking things up, especially a hot uh, uh, horseshoe. And so his answer was, no sir, it just doesn't take me long to look at horseshoes. Well you know sometimes there are things that are hard to hold. Some things are hard to hold. Now, I want to call your attention to the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, Psalm 141. And let's begin tonight by looking at verses 1 and 2, and we'll find David doing something there. In Psalm 141, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says this, Lord, I cry out to you, make haste to me, give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. As you look at that and you read it, you know what David is doing. David is pleading with God to hear his prayer and to answer his prayer. David knows there's something that he needs help with. David knows there's something that he needs God's help with. The only one who can help him is God. And so he is crying out to God for help. Now David, what is it that you're wanting to know, what, uh, that you're wanting God's help with, what is it that you're struggling with? What is it that, that the only one who can help you with? And what we need to do is keep reading. Look at verse number 3. Let's read together verses 3 and 4. There David goes on and says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who, are, who work iniquity. And do not let me eat of their delicacies. As you look at that, especially verse number 3 tonight, that's where we will focus our attention. You see what David is, is talking about. You see what David is pleading with God about. Do you see that he is asking God to help him set a guard over his mouth? Set a guard over his lips. 
As we think about that, we understand David was a soldier. David was a military man. Now, from almost the very beginning of our introduction to David, we find David in a fight, don't we? We go back when he's a young lad and, and he hears the, the battle, or he, actually he hears the cry of, uh, of uh, this big giant by the name of Goliath, and, and uh, he can't believe that the army of the Lord is allowing him to taunt them like he is. And so David says, hey, I'll go down there and I'll fight that big guy. And we know the rest of the story. He was able to overcome it. And almost from that time on, we find David being a soldier. And so David would have been well acquainted with the idea, the concept of what a guard was. And he would talk about that, or know about that military term, to set a guard. Now if you think about a guard, they basically do two things, don't they? Or they can do one of two things. When we think about a guard, the first thing that guards normally do is to keep people out of where they should not be. They, they, they keep people out of where they should not be. They keep things out. They may be guarding something to keep animals away, so they keep people or things away from things, out of things that they, that they should not get into. Okay? But the second thing is they keep people or things in places where they need to be where they should not be allowed to get out of. Now David is not asking God to keep him to, to help him keep something, keep something from getting into his mouth. David is saying, Lord, help me keep something from getting out of it. Help me with my words. Help me with my tongue. Help me be able to say the right things. You see, David doesn't want to say things that wicked men would say. He doesn't want to use their words. And, and uh, that is somewhat illustrated in verse number 4 where he talks about not letting him become like them. But I'm also convinced that David does not want to say things about bad men, evil men, wicked men, that God would not want him to say. In other words, he's wanting God to help him keep his tongue. Hold on to his tongue. You know what? A lot of people with their tongue, it's just like that foolish man who picked up a hot horseshoe. They have a hard time holding on to it, don't they? I don't know if you've noticed especially in the recent weeks and months, that it seems a lot of people have a hard time holding on to their tongue, maybe even more so than before. Maybe it's because they hide behind social media. Maybe it's because they think they can be anonymous. But people have a hard time holding their tongues. You know that. I know that. And most importantly tonight, God knows it as well. And so we need to be concerned about it. We need to think about it. Now, let's look at three main points tonight before we run out of time. Number one, let's think about how can you tell if you have a problem holding your tongue? How can, how can you tell that? Well, it's, it's pretty easy for us to understand. And, and, and without spending a lot of time on, on these things, at, on this point, we can know that if we are speaking things like profanity, we're having a hard time holding on to our tongue. 
You know, the word profane originally meant to cross the threshold or to walk over. I don't know, there may be some in here who remember a man by the name of Carl Perkins. Now, Carl Perkins was a singer a long time ago. And he lived in Jackson, Tennessee when I was living in Atwood, Tennessee. And occasionally you would see Carl Perkins out somewhere. And one day I had gone with one of our elderly ladies to a doctor's office. I had taken her to the doctor's office. And when we walked in and sat down, we sat next to, the, to where the, the bathroom door was. Well, out comes this tall man... And Miss Annabelle Craig, she's gone on to her reward several years ago now. She looks up and she sees who it is. And it's Carl Perkins. And Miss Annabelle Craig began to say, that's Carl Perkins. That's Carl Perkins. That's Carl Perkins. I mean, everybody could hear it. That's Carl Perkins. Finally, I had to say, Miss Annabelle, yes, he knows who he is. (laughs) Well, he sang a song. You remember one of his famous songs? Don't step on my blue suede shoes. Long before Carl Perkins came out with that song, God said, don't step on my name. Don't step on my name. Don't profane my holy name. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse number 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's from the Old Testament. That is is from uh, uh, from the Ten Commandment law. But we know that under the New Testament that we have the same concept that is taught. Do not step on the name of God. And a lot of times we do that, don't we? Sometimes unintentionally. There's a big, long, fancy name for it. It's called euphemisms. You know one thing that really bothers me, and that is this. To hear people take the name of God in vain. But sometimes people are doing that and they don't even recognize it. With terms such as, gosh, golly, gee, And one that you'll see on social media a lot, O-M-G. We need to be very careful because we do not want to be guilty of not holding on to our tongue. And one of the ways that we can do that is by speaking things that are profane. Number two, you know that you're having a hard time holding on to your tongue if you're speaking slander. To slander someone means to say untrue things about them in order to damage their reputation. Now there are some synonyms for slander that we sometimes use. Uh, There's a word, impugn. Like I don't want to impugn his motives, but to impugn someone is to cause people to doubt someone's character. uh, To doubt someone's qualities or reputation because you have criticized them. Another synonym for slander is two words, a hatchet job. You ever heard somebody say something like that? He really did a hatchet job on him. Well, that that simply is this, and the definition for a hatchet job, if you look it up in the dictionary, is a cruel written or spoken attack 
on someone or something. Now think about what a hatchet is. You know, a hatchet is one of those things that looks like a little miniature axe, doesn't it? And if you do a hatchet job on somebody, you're doing damage to that person. And so if you're allowing that slander to come out of your mouth about someone, then you know you're having a hard time holding your tongue. The word translated slander in the New Testament several times, I did not count them, but several times the word that's translated slander is blasphemia. Now you sort of count that, did you not? Blaspheme. When we say bad things about God, we call it blasphemy. When we say bad things about people, we call it slander. And of course, as we look at the Word of God, we understand that, that slander is not a good thing. In Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 18, whoever hides hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 1, therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, or if you're reading from the English Standard Version, and all slander. Those things are not to be a part of the Christian life. Number three, you know that you're having a hard time holding your tongue if, if you are speaking gossip. There are two definitions, basically, of gossip. The first one is this, saying negative things about a person when they're not present. And gossip can also be telling a truth about a person that does not need to be told for the purpose of hurting that person. It may be true, but if we say it to hurt that person, then it's still gossip. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, talking about the younger widows, Paul says, but refuse the younger widows, taking them in and, and supporting them uh, uh, from the church treasury, if you will. And he goes on to say that uh, uh, one of the reasons that they're not to do that in verse 13, and besides this, they learn to be idle, wandering from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things that they ought not. You know what? If a young widow is called a gossip and God says that they're saying things, she's saying things that she ought not say, well, I would understand that to mean that anybody who is doing what she would do is saying something that he or she should not say. And so as we look at it, we need to understand that, that we're talking about things that, that we as Christians do not need to do. We could look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 at verse number 20. Again, Paul says, For I, I fear lest when I come I shall find you such as I... Uh, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, and whisperings, which the English Standard Version translates gossip. We as Christians do not need to do that. You know, we could go on, we could talk about some other things that we can know that we're not controlling our tongue, we're not holding our tongue, such as griping and complaining. Do we realize how bad griping and complaining is in the sight of God? Do we? You go back to the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now let's just start that out. Now when the people complained, 
What are the people doing? Talking about the Israelites there. They're complaining. Have you ever known of anybody? You probably haven't met the same folks I have. And so you've probably never met anybody that's ever complained, have you? Anybody ever met a complainer? Well, maybe y'all know. You still know some of the folks I know. I don't know. Now, when the people complain, watch this next part. It displeased the Lord. Now, we're not going to take time to read it, but you know how much it displeased God? He set fires on the outside of the camp and began to burn the complainers. That's not a good thing, is it? You know, Paul talks about that in the New Testament. If you go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 6, the Bible says, Now these things became our examples. What things? Well, he's going to name some things that became our examples. And, and, and if we just drop on down to verse number 10, Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. He, he gives a list of things that... that, that we're not to do. And, and he says, what you need to do is look back to the example in the Old Testament, especially one which we read in the book of Numbers, chapter number 11, and see what God thinks about it. Oh, my friends, if we speak grumbling and complaining words, we know that we're not controlling, holding on to our tongue. We could go on tonight lying. I mean... Do I really have to preach a lot on lying? All I need to do is think about the fact that in Revelation chapter 21 at verse 8, the Bible says, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire, which is the second death. You know there are two, kind, two kinds of lies, don't you? There are outright lies. That we can just outright tell something false about someone. And then there are lies that are half-truths or false implications about someone. Maybe you've heard about the ship captain and his first mate. The first mate got drunk. He shouldn't have done that. But the captain wrote him up and said that, you know, in the ship's log, he said, you know, uh, this man called him by name, said he got drunk on this certain day. Well, a few days later, the shipmate, the first mate, had the log, and he was taking care of the ship's log, and he simply put in the log on that day, on this day, and he gave the date, Captain so-and-so, called his name, was sober. Now, it was true that he was sober, but what was he doing? It was true what he said. But as the captain came to him, he says, what you're doing is you're implying that all the other days... I'm drunk. You know, that's a lie, isn't it? We need to be very careful. And so we have a hard time. We, we know we're having a hard time holding our tongues if, if these kinds of words are coming out of our mouths. Now, number two, what will not holding one's tongue do to a person? Why is it so bad? What's the problem with it? Number one, not holding your tongue can make your religion worthless. 
Look with me in your copy of God's Word, if you have it tonight, to the book of James, chapter 1. Look at verse number 26. Reading from the New King James Version, the Bible says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is, New King James says, useless. If you're reading from the English Standard, this man's religion is worthless. Useless, worthless. Some translations say vain. Who is James writing to? If you go back to James chapter 1, you note there that James says he's writing to the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad. Well, who is it that he's talking about that's scattered abroad? Normally, when we talk about the 12 tribes, we're talking about those 12 tribes of the children of Israel who came out of Egyptian bondage. But in this case, we're talking about the Jewish people who have become Christians in the book of Acts chapter 8, verse number 1. We find that uh, after the death of Stephen and, and at the time that Saul became active in persecuting the church, that Christians were spread abroad. They went to Judea and Samaria, Acts chapter 80, verse number 1 tells us. And so, these Jewish Christians are scattered abroad. If you go back to James chapter 1 and look at verses 2 and 3, you're going to find that James talks about the testing of our faith. Well, he's writing to these 12 tribes who are scattered abroad, but he's talking about these having their faith tested. These are men and women who have faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. He's talking to Christian folks. He is talking to church folks. He's talking to you and me. Now what is it that he said? He said, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is vain. Now think about it this way. Think about the fact of all of the things that you have done. I don't want to stand before my Lord on the judgment day and find out that all I've tried to do in service to Him has become worthless. Think of all the tears that maybe you've shed for others. Think about all the compassionate, caring acts that maybe you have done for others. Maybe you're willing to give the, the person the very shirt off of your back or lay your life down. Give the last dollar that you have to feed the poor. Maybe you faithfully taught others God's plan of salvation and one day they'll be in heaven because you taught them correctly. Yet James says all of that is worthless if you have spewed out careless words out of your mouth. That's an important thing. Let me ask you a very serious question. Do you take your speech as seriously as God takes it? Think about that. Do you think about your speech? Do you think about it? Do you, do you 
have as much concern about what you say, what comes out of your mouth, as God does. You know, if I'm having a hard time holding my tongue and I think about that, maybe I need to start working on getting that guard up there. Like David was asking. Number two. Not holding your tongue reveals what's really in your heart. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse number 34. Talking to Jewish folks there, he said, You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Where do your words come from? How many of you have ever seen that uh, uh, movie that comes on at Christmas time? There's one channel or two that runs it for 24 hours. It's called A Christmas Story. Anybody ever seen that? You got Ralphie on there. Ralphie wants a Red Ryder BB gun. And Ralphie, you know, keeps getting told, you're going to shoot your eye out. That's that movie. I don't know if you remember it or not, but in that movie, there is a scene where uh, Ralphie is outside with his dad, and he's holding the lug nuts as they're changing the tire, and something happens, and the lug nuts get all spread out. And what does Ralphie do? Ralphie says some words that he does not need to say. Now, you, do you remember that Ralphie's daddy gets back in the car and tells Ralphie's mother, and, and the next scene that you see is Ralphie standing there with a bar of Life Boy soap sticking out of his mouth. Mama has done washed his mouth out with soap. I'm not really sure it's the mouth that needs washing out. You see, it's really the heart that keeps needing cleansed. Tongues speak only the things that come out of the heart. And evil talk equals an evil heart. James would say it this way in James chapter 3, that chapter where he talks about the tongue. He says, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? No, that's that's the answer to the question. And so if things like dirty words and gossip and dirty jokes and words that run others down and name calling and curse words and angry words, if those are the kind of things that are coming out of my mouth, then I have to ask myself this question. Why do I still have all these unclean, filthy things treasured up in my heart that makes me talk this way. Why do I still have them there? Now I asked you a moment ago, I said, are you as concerned about your words as God is? Now I'm going to ask you why God is so concerned about them. And I think we've already answered that, have we not? Why is God so concerned about the words that come out of our mouth? You see, God is concerned about our speech because it's tied directly to our heart. That's where the words come from. From the heart. Number three. Not holding our tongue will require an accounting by you on the day of judgment. 
Look at Matthew chapter 12. We all have already looked at verse 34, but let's look at verses 36 and 37. 34 was the one from out of the uh, uh, abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Look at verses 36 and 37. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Do you believe that when you speak a word, that it just fades off into the distance and disappears? Do you believe that when the words that you say just evaporate into thin air? Sometimes we say it this way, words do have consequences, and that is indeed true. But do we understand that the fact that every single word that you and I utter is recorded? In eternity? By our God? And he'll be able to repeat them verbatim to you and to me and to everyone in this room and to everyone in this world. Before I stand before Jesus at the judgment, I've got to get my speech right. I've got to get the words that I say right. But before I can do that, you know what I've got to do? I've got to get my heart right. In the book of Romans, chapter 2, at verse number 5, Paul, in talking to his Jewish brethren, writing about the fact that they're as sinful as the, the Gentiles that he had talked about in chapter 1 of the book of Romans, he says, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of righteous judgment of God. Are we allowing our heart to prevent us? Has it become so hardened? Are, are, are we so impenitent that we simply refuse to change our words? And I would suggest to you tonight, if that is the case, then like those Jewish men and women that Paul is addressing in the first century, if that is the case with us, if our heart has become hardened and, and we're unwilling to repent of any sin, but we're talking about our words tonight, then he says we're storing up wrath. Building up. It's, we're storing up wrath on the day of wrath when we stand before God. In judgment. You see, that's why it's important for us to hold on to our tongue. We're going to give an account, but we're going to give an account not just of what we say, but what was in our heart. We all have to remember that. 
But then our final main point tonight, and that is this. David had asked, he prayed, he begged God to set a guard over his mouth, over his lips. And, and so my final point in the, in the final time, minutes that we have together, what are some of the guards that we need over our mouth, over, over our tongue? What are some of the guards that we need to put in place? Number one, we need the guard of truth. Before a word ever crosses your lips, you need to ask, are you true? Are you true? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 says, Therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. You know, before you say it, you may be thinking, well, I have heard. Or, or you may say, well, I'm not exactly sure. Well, if you're thinking those things or saying those things before whatever it is you're going to express comes out, you better tell those words to get back in and don't come out. You want to be sure that you're speaking the truth. Number two, we need to set the guard of love over our mouth, over our lips, holding on to our tongue. You know, it may be the truth, but is it said in the spirit of love? There are some who can say the right thing the truthful thing and still be wrong. Notice what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15. Here he's talking about the gospel. The gospel is, is right, is it not? It's always right. But in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head Christ. Some people can even speak the truth of the Bible, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in a spiteful way to hurt someone. Where does that take place? Sometimes it takes place in families. When one family member is not a New Testament Christian and somebody just keeps bringing things up, saying them because that person, that that son-in-law or daughter-in-law or whoever it may be, maybe a husband or maybe a wife, they keep saying, you know, you've got to be baptized or you're going to hell. Is that true? As we read the Word of God, does it teach the truth of baptism? Yes. But if we're saying it in a spiteful way, that's wrong. Are you speaking out because you love someone and love demands it? Or is it to make you feel better? And if it's just to make you feel better, that's not good. Proverbs 29, 11, A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Number three, we need the guard of necessity. The guard of necessity. Some words are necessary. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. 
In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, is the way the uh, King James Version puts it, that it may impart grace to the hearers. There are some words that are necessary. Some words are unnecessary, though. I was asked to preach a number of years ago the, the funeral of an elderly lady who was at odds with her daughter. And she had written down a number of things in regard to her funeral. And most of the time as a preacher, if somebody you know has given you some material to use at their funeral, you appreciate that and you know it's helpful to you. But among all of the things, the songs that she had picked out for the funeral and some Bible verses that she wanted read, she had a letter that she wanted read to her daughter. And you know what? After I read that letter to her daughter, I said, there's no way. There's some very spiteful things that she wanted me to say reading her letter to her daughter. It was unnecessary. It wasn't right to do that. There's things that are necessary, but they're not easy. You know, I remember as a young man having to tell a very close friend of mine that his mother had passed away. That's hard. I, I, I've had to do that a number of times through the years, and it hasn't gotten any easier. Some things are necessary, but they're not easy. And I, 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 through the years, you know, I've had to confront people regarding some flagrant sin in their life. It was necessary, but it wasn't easy. Some sermons have been downright hard to preach. But they're necessary. We need the guard of necessity over our mouth. We need the guard of wisdom. The guard of wisdom. You know, when I was in college, I had my wisdom teeth removed. Got a dry socket. You know, that's when the thing starts hurting. If you ever, if you ever had one, you won't forget it. And then I read, some people are born without wisdom teeth. I said, why couldn't I be one of them? But more sobering than that, some people seem to never exercise wisdom. Not the teeth, but the real thing. You know, Elihu accused Job of speaking words without wisdom. Job chapter 34 at verse number 35. But Proverbs chapter 25 at verse 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. And Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 17 says, Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of the ruler of fools. Set the guard of wisdom over your lips. Let's close tonight by noticing Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23. There the Bible says, Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. That's what we're seeking, is it not? We're seeking to keep our soul from troubles. I'm not asking for a poll tonight. Don't want you to raise your hand or anything like that. But how many of us, like David, so long ago, have ever begged God 
to set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You know that inquisitive, nosy guy that we mentioned at the beginning of our lesson? He didn't do a real good job of holding a hot horseshoe, did he? But our question tonight is this, how good a job is each one of us doing, holding our tongue? It's an important thing, not because I preached on it. It's an important thing with God. Because of what we say, mainly, comes from what's on the inside. And God already looks on the heart, doesn't He? But He's allowing us, or seeing us, spewing that forth, and allowing other folks to see that come out of our mouth. And sometimes we wonder why we have a hard time convincing our family members and our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors and other folks to become a Christian. Have they heard your speech? I'm so thankful tonight for the way that you've listened. Let's close with a prayer. Holy and righteous Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the ability to communicate, for the fact that you've given us words that we can use. Father, may we use the guards that, that are set before our tongue that we might be able to, to hold it. And that, Heavenly Father, the words that we speak will be wise and loving. And that, Heavenly Father, they indeed will be truth and necessary. Watch over each one of us. Father, forgive us when we sin. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.